Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, welcome back to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Lainey, and today we're back with an editor's unedited episode, and we're joined again, we're so happy to have her, Lucia Macro, VP and an executive editor at William Morrow. Hi, Lucia. Hi. And we're very happy to have you back. You've done the podcast with us before, and every time is so fun, and um, I can't wait to see what you have for us this time, so I'm going to hand it off. I am so happy to be here today. Um, I always I always love speaking to um, all you librarians out there. Um, I am a secret librarian, so someday I will get to use my library degree, perhaps. Um, but that would mean leaving editing, and I don't want to do that. So today, yes, we are with Diana Rostad, who is the author of You Belong Here Now, which is coming from William Morrow on April 6th. And this is just such a wonderful book. It's about uh, three orphans, they leave New York City on the orphan train and they travel to Montana and they discover um, a whole new life, a whole new family, and really a haven out in Montana. So welcome, Diana. This is, this is, I'm so excited for you to be here today. Thank you. It's amazing to be here and talk to all you librarians out there. Oh, I know. And they're such a, they're such a great group. Um, and this book came to me We'll talk a little bit about how this novel came to me because we had met, right? It, yeah, you know, I pitched to you at Historical Novel Society back right. in, I think it was June 2017. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's yeah. like it seems like it seems yeah. like yesterday, but it feels like yeah. a million uh, a million travel years ago. <laughs> Four years ago. So you know, back in 2007, I came across this CNN article and it talked about the orphan train, and I'd never heard of this before. I was astounded. I was thinking, God, did I not listen in class, you know? So I researched it. I discovered that nobody had written any uh, adult fiction on it yet until right. Christina Baker Klein. And so I thought, wow, this would make a great book. But I was still kind of obsessing over this Lord Byron fellow. And so I would push and pull these, you know, two novels at different times. But the real passion for writing um, the book, You Belong Here Now, came when my father, um, he visited at Christmas and he brought all these amazing photos of Montana and the ranches. And there was scribblings of my grandfather on the back and what they were doing and what they meant. And it was just all these stories. And it just broke open this whole wide world for me where I could just see all my characters, you know, coming together. And from there, it just seemed very natural to base a lot of these characters on my family. You know, you could, I hardly couldn't help doing that. So Nara was actually named for my maternal grandmother, but she quickly morphed into my eldest daughter, you know, very headstrong, natural leader. She was so happy to confront you on anything. <laughs> so and she was 
all about the rules. She was my little rule book. In fact, she went into HR. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, perfect for her. So, so in the book, Nara is all about the rules and Charles only has mm-hmm. one rule and that's don't get caught. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he was based on my son, uh, 17 years old at the time, a, a really tender inside, but a fierce protector of his siblings. And so, you know, during the book, Charles protects his siblings with such a fervor. It just terrifies people. Like when a bully slurs Patrick for being Irish at school, Charles packs his mouth with so much dirt and holds it closed until he's almost choking to death. And people are just like, whoa. I know it's a pretty amazing thing. So just to clarify, so Charles, so Charles and Patrick and Opal came together on the orphan train and and they came West and they're not, they're not, blood siblings they all have very different backgrounds no right and so you know the the family you know doesn't know if they can save him he's almost so terrifying and he's you know he's had to learn how to survive on the streets with Mm -hmm. his fists and so he really has to you know hold that back and you know the family at certain points of the novel they don't know if they can save this kid right right and I thought it was, oh, and I just want to say, it's interesting because when I first got the novel, um, I did the thing that all authors hate me to do, which is you had a whole section at the beginning, uh, at, you know, that was set in New York City that gave this like really deep backstory um, about where the kids came from. Mm-hmm. And which I found, I actually still, it still stays with me. It, it was so interesting and so emotional but I felt that for the sake of the novel we decided it, it had to it, it had to go um yeah and to start the book in a different place which is a pretty I have to say is a pretty um usual occurrence especially with um debut novels and this is mm-hmm. your debut novel so yeah. um so how did you do I'm just curious how did you do some of the research on um so you, so you had the family connection to the ranch and you did the research on the orphan train. How did you do some of that research, that, that background research about these, these kids? And they had these really hard lives that each one of them, um, Charles, Patrick and Opal are all escaping from different situations and different hard lives. I mean, life, life for kids in those days, like it was bad. It, it on the was. Streets. Yeah. When I, when I researched the orphan train and I saw those kids on the street, they reminded me of my caseload um, my first big girl job was uh-huh. um, as a case manager in South Central Los Angeles right after the riots. Oh gosh. And I had a caseload of youthful offenders and these kids had done the most God awful things. But if you'd read their background files, you would understand yeah. why. It yeah. was always the same thing, you know, uh, father missing, mother in jail, raised by a grandmother or auntie. These kids were in the crypts and the bloods and they knew how to survive on the street. And so, Charles is based on that, um, Mm -hmm. that knowledge and that background, just knowing that, you know, kids can do some of the most horrible things, but they still want to be, despite how they had to survive, you know, the kids that I worked with, they had hope. They wanted Mm -hmm. to get a job. They wanted to get out of South Central. And Charles is very much the same. You know, he, when he gets on that train, you know, after being beaten by the gangs because uh-huh. they want him to join, but he doesn't want that life. He wants to become a cowboy. So he rides, <laughs> he lies about his age to ride the orphan train. That's right. And, and the, the, whole, the whole concept of the orphan train to me is so fascinating because on one hand and sort of on the surface of it, and, and, in, some, and in many cases, this was a good thing. You took children 
and you sent them, you know, it was basically like you're sending them to the wide open spaces where it's going to be healthier and they're going to have family to take care of them. And in some cases, and in the case in this book, that does work out. Um, but, you know, there were cases where that didn't quite work out. And you have scenes, and you also have scenes of the kids, I mean, they're basically standing on train platforms and, pe- you know, people are going this one, this one, that one. And it's so heartbreaking. Um, I mean, it really was, if you read the the old contracts, it really was like indentured servitude, servitude. the older the children were. But I honestly think on balance, when you look at um, the way we deal with foster care today, Mm. um, I don't know. I mean, fresh air, sunshine, hard work. I mean, living on the streets and living with potentially people who, you know, I don't know. It's it's a tough hard, right? Yeah. I wish Um, there were a perfect system. I know there is, I wish there were perfect answers to all of this. Um, But I think it's, I think it's interest. I just, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. And I feel like, you know, these were in some cases, I think, you know, the children do, did get better lives. And in the novel, they, these three children do get a better life um, and they get it on, on this ranch and, but there's also a, another component to the story. So, you know, you think of the ranch and the ranching life, but there's the component of the wild horses and the saving of the wild horses. Um, yeah. And could you, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I, th- I thought it was such a, it was, it, it, it was such a poignant part of the book. And in a way I, I started thinking of, you know, you're saving the wild horses, you're saving the children. <laughs> I was getting, you know, kind of philosophical about it all. But, but the yeah. idea of the, the horses in the West, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was some real symbolism going on there for sure. You know, um, in the in the end of the book, Patrick tells Nara, he says, look, look at all this space. There's room for everyone and everything. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want those horses to be destroyed. He knows that he can gentle them and Mm -hmm. he knows he can train them and they don't have to be destroyed. And so, you know, it's just it is a big part of the book. And I guess it's part of um, I love animals. And mm-hmm. so this really probably comes through in the horses in this book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even today, these horses are being rounded up right now as we speak, know. you know, and put in little pens where they're eventually going to get trucked off to Mexico or Canada and destroyed. And it's all been happening under the radar of COVID and, you know, the, the yeah. you know, everything. So, you know, I, I know there's a lot of folks out there passionate about it and and I know my kids in the book are very passionate about saving these horses. Patrick was mm-hmm. raised um, in Ireland at a racetrack working for his grandfather. And he's a real equestrian. Mm-hmm. Whereas Charles comes to the story and he's a city boy. Right. And they give him this big apple. I love it. Yeah. This, and it's called Charge, aptly called Charge. And so every time he gets on this big Appaloosa, it takes <laughs> off with them and runs under, you know, a pine branch or, you know, in one case, a clothesline and, he gets the wind knocked out of him. And this actually happened to me. A lot of my childhood experiences are in this novel. My my sister and my cousins and I were all on a horse ride out in Hermiston and, you know, a, a can rolled on the trail. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting on the back, of the butt of a pinto and my sister was in the saddle and all the horses threw their riders and people went to the hospital and whatnot. But I just will never forget getting the wind knocked out of me. Yeah. <laughs> so Charles in the book gets the wind knocked out of him. <laughs> I have so, it's funny, I, I, I love horses and I'll go watch them and I'll pet their noses, but I have never been on a horse, full disclosure, and, and <laughs> probably not a good move for me um, to, 
to go on a horse. So I'm, I'm staying away from them, but, but um, yeah. And I loved, I loved Patrick and I loved that. Um, I loved that he was Irish. The Irish have a real, um, um, I don't know what, it is a real equestrian country. There's, For sure. You no, know, it really is. Uh, there, there's a true love of, of like cultural love of horses that I, that mm, I see over sure. and over again. Um, also, uh, Montana, I always, I mean, I think of you as being an East Coast person and I always forget that you, um, did you grow, did you grow up in Montana? You did grow up in Montana, right? I didn't grow up in you Montana. You didn't, okay. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon and Washington and then mm -hmm. I'm kind of like that Johnny Cash song. I've really- You've been everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I lived in Texas for 12 years. I've lived in Southern California, wow. California. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and here I am in Florida. So who knows where I'm going to go next? Uh, you never can tell. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, um, I think another really interesting character is um, Nara. Um, she's, so, uh, she's so strong and so- um, imposing in certain ways. Like she, I feel like she looms very large over the book and she is a, what she really is kind of a woman in a, in a, dare I say man's world. Um, so yeah. Talk a little bit about her and how you came to her. And, um. Yeah. You know, Nara, um, Nara has had to scrub away every bit of her femininity mm -hmm. rise up in that male dominated world. You know, she walks like a man, she dresses like a man, she talks like a man. Mm -hmm. You know, she's wanted for so long to uh, lead her family's cattle operation, but her father will not let her. It's 1925 Montana. He's chauvinist. No way can a lady do this. And mm -hmm. nobody's going to listen to you because you're a woman. And so she really has uh, quite the uphill battle. And when these kids mysteriously end up on their ranch, she wants nothing to nothing. do. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, she looks at them and she thinks, I'm not going to get stuck in the kitchen making sandwiches and wiping noses. <laughs> You know, that, that'll wipe out her dream. She wants to be outside in the fresh air. And, you know, she, a lot of, you know, her cattlewoman basis came from an amazing photographic exhibit for uh, Hard Twist by Barbara Van Cleave. Mm -hmm. she, you know, she um, went around the Western United States and took all these amazing pictures of ranch women and, you know, doing, you know, ranch work. And it was just so it really, really brought that part of Nara to life for me. So, you know, we're always, as fiction um, writers, we're always, you know, so grateful to, you know, the nonfiction that we come across out there. We have talked a lot about the book, but I know that people always want to know, um, you're right, like your writing day, your writing style, um, and by style, I don't mean, you know, the style that's in the book. I mean, like, how, you know, how do you approach this, job I mean it's a creative job so do you write every day do you wait for the the muse to strike you different people work in different ways and I'm, I'm always fascinated by the creative process if you could go into that a little bit oh sure you know for me um I I used to pants it and I I found that um in doing so I would write down rat holes and I would never know you know where to go next and so when I wrote you belong here now I decided that I was going to start with a tight log line and then I was going to take that into a full detailed outline. So I'd have literally turn by turn instructions so that when I sat down every morning, I knew number one, what I was going to write. And number two, I could really focus on the emotions and the atmosphere and not worry about where the story was going. So that's kind of how I operate. And, you know, if I ever get kicked out of my headspace, my writer headspace, 
All I have to do is pick up a research <laughs> book or look back at my notes. Um, because one thing I do love about this job is, you know, researching on site. You know, I went out to Montana. I sniffed the air. I walked through the grass. I looked at everything around me in the natural world because I just, I'm a big nature lover myself. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's always going to be a big part of my books is, um, you know, the, the landscape and in you belong here now the wind is actually a character it has a mind of its own oh talk a little bit about that yeah that's yeah. interesting you know that northern wind I remember it because I grew up in eastern Washington and mm -hmm. when it comes in in the winter it is so cold and it desiccates you I mean a chapped butt is a serious thing I can tell you <laughs> yes it's quite serious <laughs> it hurts so I bet I kind of, I kind of bandy that about in the book as a joke, but it's serious. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so, and the thing that um, when Charles gets to Montana that he loves the most is that it's so quiet, mm -hmm. you know, because he'd slept on the streets of New York and he was like, there was always so much racket. So the only thing Charles can hear is, you know, his boots scuffing through the dirt as he walks sometimes. And he absolutely falls in love with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was definitely I felt that the state and the natu the natural like the land and, and nature it was really a character in the novel and it it just all came together so beautifully. Um, I, I always hesitate as you know someone's editor to ask this, but you know can you give anybody a hint and I won't hold you to it I promise uh, about what you were thinking of next or what you might be working on next. Um, do you think Byron will ever make a comeback in some way, shape, or form? He doesn't have to. Yeah, I mean, you know, with the Bridgerton, he's there, he's in the drawer, he's lovely, and he's yeah. he's kicking to get out of the drawer. <laughs> so he's hoping these Bridgerton uh, uh, fad will really help him out. Oh, but, yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, for my Americanas, I have two ideas that I've been kicking around, and one of them is in 1900 San Francisco, where a girl escapes her overprotective family and runs off to find her famous mountain man father to prove she's capable of anything. Oh my gosh. I sort of love that. <laughs> kind of a true grit meets the secret garden. And oh. um, I think what readers can expect from me is that, you know, and this is my author's mantra is that I'll always write these big hearted books for wide audiences. Right. And what that means is that there'll always be a big cast of characters someone for everyone to root for, you know, male, female, old, young. Um, I just love the idea of kids going on epic journeys. I, I don't know if it was, you know, me watching Pippi Longstocking on the weekend, <laughs> or not. you know, he had that amazing ship. Do you remember that? Right. I oh do remember God. that ship. <laughs> I, I want that ship. <laughs> so, and I just feel like, you know, children have so much they can teach us too. And so I think there'll always be some element of, you know, children mm -hmm. reminding their adults of their better natures. I mean, they live in the present moment. They know joy. And, you know, we sit here and we, we crack books to try to do it, you know, to be present yeah. be in the moment. We're like, it's, <laughs> and so. You belong here now. It has, it has an epic journey of three children, but I also think it has Nara's journey. Um, um, you know, how she goes from, you know, really not wanting these kids around to, you know, doing everything she can to help them and to keep them. I don't want to give too many plot points away, um, but it yeah. is, it is really amazing and really exciting. And I think, um, you know, the American West will forever, I love 
story set in the American West. I, I love Westerns. And I think that, you know, at its heart, they, they it represents, you know, what, what we do best and what we can do best and what we hope to do. So thank you for writing such a, such a wonderful book. I can't wait till it's out into the wider world. It's You Belong Here Now. It goes on sale April 6th. And I encourage everyone to buy a copy and buy a copy for your library system or more than one copy for the big library system. <laughs> so, thank you, Diana, for being our guest here today. This was wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.